This episode of Off My Shelf contains coarse language and adult conversation. Listener discretion is advised. Hello, my name is Tracy James and welcome to Off My Shelf, a podcast about movies that are well off my shelf, where we go through my DVDs to talk about the movies in my collection. In this episode, Leah Irby joins me to talk about two quirky films, Hudson Hawk and I Heart Huckabees. Welcome! Thank you. Thank you. Um, I apologize for the word quirky. I legitimately could not think of a different word. And I was like, that'll do. People will get it. I have a couple of suggestions, but they're not as (laughs) flattering as quirky. (laughs) I can't be mean off the bat. We have to talk through our feelings about it and like the stuff surrounding it and then give our official opinion. There's lots about each of these movies that I do like. So, yes, let's start there. Mm-hmm. Okay, okay. So, you want to start with Hudson Hawk? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Um, so, first off, did not realize this was directed by the same guy who did Heathers. Had no idea. Um, yep. First thing I looked up, you know, saw the director's name. I was like, that looks familiar. Clicked on it. I'm like, oh, my God, that's the Heathers guy. What? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Bit of a tone shift. Yeah. But still, like weird for no reason so mm-hmm. if you think about it that way I kind of got it but very different yeah uh this is a I mean this is a few different movies truly in in one what there's there's yeah. um there's spoof there's espionage there's, there's Looney Tunes cartoonery oh my god there is like yeah weirdly so mm-hmm. yeah yeah. Like the whole, like, what, they were CIA, I think? hmm Yeah. Uh, with the, the candy, candy bar bars. agents? Yeah. And I have seen this movie multiple times, and every time omit in my brain that they are CIA, because <laughs> why would a real, why would they need to involve something that is, that exists in real life mm-hmm. in this banana setup? Why would they not just have a fake? And then I think about what kind of weird stuff the CIA may have gotten up to in history, and I'm like, ah, maybe it is not that weird. Yeah, maybe that's what it is. He was like doing research for writing the script and he was just like, huh, they did some weird shit. Let's throw that in. You know, what do I know about the weirdest stuff the CIA has never done. <laughs> has ever done. It could have been this. We don't know. No, nev- I think you said never done. I think that's correct yeah. because we're not supposed to know about it. Ooh. That is what they wrote on the letter that they sent me when I sent them all those inquiries about candy bars. <laughs> Uh, and there were pretty good candy bars too. You got Butterfinger, you had Snickers, Almond Joy, Kit Kat, Kit Kat. Oh my god, I'm Kit Kat. And wait, am I missing one? No, the other guy had his real name, right? Yes, yeah, yes. the director did. The director did, so, yeah. I, where do you even start with this movie? I don't, I honestly don't know. Can uh, I ask, can I start with a question? I'm yeah. sorry, do you mind if I subvert sure. things a little? Why do you own this movie? Um, I if I remember correctly, it was one of those things where, um, well, I mean, listening to the podcast and stuff, you will realize I have an affinity for Bruce Willis movies. I do. I, I don't. Um, and I think it was one of those things where I was like, Hudson Hawk. I've never seen that movie. What? And then I saw it somewhere. I doubt I paid full price for it. Um, unlike when I bought Breakfast of Champions, which I'm still mad at myself about. Uh, seven seventeen ninety nine. I paid for that fucking DVD. Ooh. Yes, I still remember how much I paid for it. Then I watched it and I was like, 
why did I pay this money for it? Like crazy. So hopefully this one, I did not pay the full price for it. But it was one of those things where I was like, I mean, I haven't seen this. I will watch it. And then I Mm -hmm. bought it and I watched it. And the funny thing is like, Rewatching it this time, I was kind of disappointed because I was like, I remember this movie being weird and bonkers, but I remembered enjoying it. Whereas this time um, I'm like, it's weird and bonkers. And I'm like, why am I not having fun with this? I'm, I'm not I'm not enjoying any of this. What is? What oh, is dear. So, yeah, if that that answers your question. <laughs> it does. It definitely does. And I realized as I was setting up that uh, the last time that I was on the podcast was when I bullied my way into uh, Mike's episode of Fight Club and Fifth Element, which means yes. we have some stuff to talk about with Bruce Willis and humor. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what that Venn diagram may or may not look like. I mean, he went from that to like, what was the next? Com- I mean, the last co- slash comedy thing I remember him doing is Cop Out, but also lately everything he does is sort of a slash comedy whether it's meant to be or not because he just seems so bored and uninterested in being anywhere in any of his like newer films and I'm just like I guess you're done like just he's so cool it went all the way past cool into like I hate this and you and everything around me and I'm just kind of here yeah I I mean yeah in this movie he really starts to cultivate that I mean, he had he had already been cultivating it, but we know that this movie is a vanity project for Bruce Willis. This is his baby, and this character is his baby, and we can mm-hmm. see how badly he wants to be cool, and in fact, how uncool he is. Well, also, like with the whole singing aspect of it, this was about when he released his like album and stuff, and he was like, mm-hmm. "I'm going to be a singer too," and. No, sorry, you're not. You're you're gonna flame out like Eddie Murphy. We love to party all the time, but god yeah. damn it, Eddie, don't sing. Like <laughs> it's, it's a common affliction for actors. It is, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like they I see find musicians, it- they're like, oh, nobody, there's like no between takes where you have to resume being a normal human being. For a musician, you can just be on stage for like hours at a time. Hours, then- days, months. You're sure. You're good. Eventually you, you just should have on. a glass of water. No. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you should sit down and have a glass of water eventually. But, you know, yeah, uh, I can see that being, you know, the allure of looking even cooler, I think, mm-hmm. is, is what draws a lot of them. Well, one thing I've always found surprising about, like, the entertainment industry, like, this, despite being it, it being very rare, you've had musicians become actors, you've had models become actors, you have, you know, athletes become actors, like, people have done it, they've made that transition. But for some reason, as soon as you're an actor, and you try to go the other way, they're like, Mm-mm, that's not, that's not working. Mm-mm. It's we're we're going to stop you. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, there are a couple of famous edge cases like Arnold Schwarzenegger, but, uh, you know, they are few what and you, far between. Sorry, what do you mean? Why is he an edge case? Well, I mean, yeah, he's not an edge case. He's an exception in that he was an actor and then, mm. you know, did become a politician. Yeah, but I mean, Ronald yeah. Reagan did he's, it. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah. but they were still at their core actors. Mm-hmm. It's just people like Jesse Ventura and Arnold Schwarzenegger are surprising exceptions whether or not they do like a good job that you personally agree with they are surprisingly competent exceptions but 
But despite agreeing with you that Arnold Schwarzenegger was an actor, Jesse mm-hmm. Ventura was very much on the cusp of still being a wrestler when he was just like, yeah. I'm going to be in the background of a couple of things and now I'm going to be a politician. So I always think of wrestling as acting, but you're right. There is also the whole <laughs> throwing yourself around and doing sports yeah. aspect of it. You're right. I mean, I don't know if that's better for politics or not, but I'm just putting yeah. it out there. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, Bruce Willis at this point is still, he is just on the cusp of this is, this is happening as Die Harder is coming out, right? Die Hard 2? Yes, I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So he is on the upward, huge upward trajectory of being as cool as he's ever going to get. And this is what he does with it. No, no. Die Hard 2 came out the year before. So he is on like the coattails of Die Hard 2. And he's like riding that I'm famous train. Nothing could possibly go wrong. Yeah, Die Hard 2 could go wrong. Um, And then this. (laughs) (laughs) Look, the only reason why Die Hard 2 is not the worst Die Hard movie anymore is because they put out, you know, five. So They really gave themselves some chances to Mm -hmm. do worse, didn't they? Yeah, and like, I mean, even like Live Free or Die Hard, as I've said before, is not a Die Hard movie, but it's a good action flick. I can stick with it. Mm-hmm. That um, A Good Day to Die Hard is just all kinds of garbage. Like, what are you doing? Like, you should have just stopped. And also, that that's one of the movies where he's like, he's like, I'm just, I'm just here. I'm, mm-hmm. I'm, oh, you told me to jump. I'm going to jump. I'm not going to act while jumping, but I'm going to jump. Like, that was all he was doing. Yeah. Rough. Yeah. I don't know anything about the later lesser diehards, so I am, I am learning. I'm <laughs> that learning is a, from you as we go. That is acceptable. I will not be like, you have to watch it. You're missing out. No, no, mm. you're good. You get no. up to a vengeance and you can walk away happy. Yeah. You've enjoyed yourself. Everything's good. I've watched mm. this movie, Hudson Hawk, a lot of times in my life. And I feel like that should absolve me of a lot of other Bruce Wait, wait, movies. wait, wait, wait. You're asking me why I own it. And I've probably watched this movie maybe five times. But you're saying you've watched this movie a lot. First of all, how many times is a lot? And second, why? Why are you doing this to yourself? <laughs> okay, what? so not, not probably about as many as you have, which I think okay. is a lot. I think two, finding two people in the universe who have watched this movie five times is unusual. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed, yes. <laughs> but it is because... Uh, when I was very young, I was given or perhaps stole from a nearby grown-up a copy of Richard E. Grant's autobiography called With Nails. And okay. he he goes through sort of the, the first part of his North American film career. I mean, he starts with a chronicling of his early career with, with Nell and I, which was his first, I think, starring or lead role. And then goes through his early North American career and talks about the experience of, you know, becoming an actor at last after all this time working on it and trying to make it and finally getting a break. And and he has a couple of just astonishing breaks all in a row. And, you know, after this movie, he goes on to work uh, with Francis Ford Coppola and Martin Scorsese and Robert Altman uh, mm-hmm. in pretty short order. So it's a very, very cool and inc- just incredibly well-written book. And one of the chapters is Hudson Hawk. And so as a young child, like, especially like, the, in the 90s. Sorry, I love that the whole <laughs> chapter is Hudson Hawk. He's like, no, I've done all of these wonderful things. Let's skip over that. Hudson oh, yeah. Hawk. 
yeah. Well, it's told in chronological order, which is very fun. So it's like it's his diary of the making of all of these films. So you oh, really wow, get yeah. a sense of of what happened like to his brain during the filming of each of these things. And this this chapter has a lot of all caps in it. There's just mm-hmm. a ton of exclamation points everywhere. Um, and yeah, I didn't in the '90s. It's very hard to like independently as a teenager, get your hands on movies or it was for me until yeah. I started working in a video store. Because if it's not there when you go to rent it, it's just not there and you can well, just never see it. Well, another thing too is like half the time it was like a family outing. So if the family did not agree they wanted to watch this weird thing, you're SOL, right? And you're just like, but I want to watch this. So like, we're going to watch, I don't know, name some really bad 90s movie. There's a lot of them. Never mind. That's too many Ooh. to go through. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I had a weird oh, no. train of thought going there and I was just like, no, nah, we should just stop. Let's keep going. It's fine. It's fine. <laughs> Doesn't um, matter. The point yeah. is <laughs> the point is I have heard I, I I grew up reading and rereading this incredibly dog-eared and well-loved yellow book about this, among other things this insane movie that I had never seen and everything you say about it, it's like when you talk about a show that you watched as a kid to somebody who did not watch that show, you sound like an insane person when you're like, they're on a hang glider. And also the villain is Sandra Bernhardt. And then there's a dog and then the heroes kill the dog, but it's funny. And then also they're in, yeah, they fall through the awning of the apartment building, off the balcony, and then bam, they're in the living room of the guy. No, I'm not, no, I'm not insane. Where are you taking me? Yeah, this is definitely one of the few movies where an animal dies and you're like, yes. Yeah. Yeah, he kicked that dog out the window and I was like, that's what you get. (laughs) They violently murder the bad guys and then fire a dog out of a castle window and off a cliff and that makes them the heroes and that's their moment of comeuppance. That's what this movie does to you. <laughs> yeah. You have to be prepared, people. When you watch this, you have to, your soul is going to be be taken into strange places. Like, it, it's hard. It's hard. Yes. One oh, of wait. The things- hold on. You oh, also forgot yeah. the part where they time their burglaries. Burgul- no, my God, I'm not going to say. Their robberies. There, I'm sorry. <laughs> <word. laughs> uh, <laughs> based on songs that apparently Bruce Willis just has an encyclopedic knowledge about how long random songs are. This is know. a weird thing for me because a lot of the recordings that he is referring to, I mean, I know how long songs are because on my phone and before that on my iPad and even before that on my Discman, they would come up with the seconds of the song, but we are given instead to understand that Bruce Willis, I'm going to say he's a record player kind of guy. I would think so. Excuse me. Which means that he's sitting at home on Friday night with a beer and his turntable and a stopwatch. Well, well, that's true because (laughs) at the beginning of the movie, he's coming out of jail and he's like, what's Nintendo? And then later on, when he's talking about um, being in jail, he's like, I've been in jail so long, I haven't seen E.T. And E.T. came out in 1982. So he's been in jail like 10 years, at least. No, no right. less than that. And that was like the edge of the like, you know, tape deck era. Slash, yeah. you know, we're still really into vinyl which yeah. makes full circle weirdly, but, but yeah, like he's not, he's not seeing the minutes and seconds. He's sitting there with a watch 
checking and then nobody's on the radio being like, oh, here comes Frank Sinatra. Three minutes and 12 seconds. Go. Right. Right. We have to assume this is one of those weird kid foibles that he Mm -hmm. just grew up doing. But he also knows how long it took Whitney Houston to sing the Super Bowl. Whitney Houston? Uh, yeah, I think it was Whitney right. Houston. Right, because like he seven says minutes seven minutes, seven. which are, yeah, immediately <laughs> rang a lot of alarm bells. I don't want to hear anybody <laughs> sing the Super Bowl. So I sing the national anthem for seven minutes. Not any national anthem. Um, but uh, yeah, that, that struck me as a very weird thing just because it, it is pre-digital. And so how many seconds of silence are counted in the three minutes and 12 seconds? But then once they get going with the robbery, as you can see, it doesn't really matter that much anyway, since it doesn't No, it's such a cool idea. And they, I find that the movie really fails to implement it. Like I want to see side by side shots of like, would you like to swing on a star? And then the two of them are doing, you know, parallel swinging movements, maybe split screen. Like I want to see, I want to, I want the movie to really cartoon it for me, make it a music video, you know, but instead they just kind of wander around the insane lunatic horse art exhibit and kind of vaguely fumbled their way through stealing something yeah which i thought was kind of like weird because like even if you have good timing and you start or whatever there's a chance you might miss a second or two in here are you singing directly with the recording are you singing to yourself like they don't they're not like stop watching it or anything they just start singing a song and you're just like, how are you keeping, how do you know you've yeah. sung at the right, you know, maybe, maybe one guy likes to do the whole Whitney thing, the, uh, you know, like the whole right. vocal acrobatic thing. Maybe and, one of them is, yeah, looking at a live from New York compilation album and the other one is going from right? the original. Yeah. yeah. Um, so just to let you know, I looked up Whitney Houston <laughs> Star Spangled Banner. Oh, it's got Which is own- excellent. Excellent rendition. I'm aware of the rendition. It is not Mm -hmm. seven minutes long. It is not. It has its own Wikipedia page. And according to this, it is only two minutes and 15 seconds. That is way off. Way off. That is an appropriate amount of time to spend listening to anybody sing this Star Spangled Banner. If you must, it should be Whitney Houston. If you must. And it was in um, 1990. So that means he would have been in jail when this happened. Is that why he doesn't know how long it is? Well, but this is the problem. The fact that he knows about it doesn't make any sense. Because he's like, I don't know what Nintendo is. Nintendo was everywhere. Um, Mm -hmm. He's never watched E.T. He probably doesn't know how long that is. So how are you coming up with this time? But mind you, his partner did say, you got to be kidding. That can't be right. And they just keep going. So good point. I don't know. Good point. Do we think that maybe all of these are wrong and it's just a habit that Danny Aiello indulges him in because is of this pathological need to be cool and right? It's totally possible. Like we are given conflicting information, which is one that Hudson Hawk is an incredibly good cat burglar. And then two, that he is not great at things mm-hmm. well Being according right. according to this um the bing crosby version of swinging on a star is only two minutes and 31 seconds and in the movie it's three minutes and 12 seconds mm. or something so again again Mm-mm. yep this All is wrong. probably why they got busted in the first place exactly because they're singing to the wrong tune they don't even yeah. know how long things are 
Uh, exactly. It's blowing up my world. I don't know why I've never thought about checking these things before, but <laughs> now I'm just like, oh, my God, you lied to me all this time. It's fine. I'll, I think I'll live. Yeah. I mean, you know, you'll, you'll deal with the feelings of betrayal after some time and some journaling probably. Yes. You know, <laughs> we can talk more about uh, inner turmoil when we get to I Heart Huckabees, but oh, God. You know, for yes. now. Okay. For now, there is no inner turmoil anywhere in this movie. Only yeah. outer turmoil. <laughs> a lot of outer turmoil. <laughs> yeah, really like, especially the part where they're, where he's in the ambulance, for example, and the guys have him, like, strapped down or whatever, and he picks up a thing with um, hypodermic needles and just smacks yes. it into the other guy's face. And you're yes, just like... And then- I'm like, you think in an ambulance they just have, like, upward-pointing needles just sticking there for you yeah, to for easier standing that's all right and yeah mm-hmm. i'm gonna um, that's not the only thing i had problem i had with that scene but yeah you get you well know. What, this is maybe my favorite scene i i don't know <laughs> i think that this is where we get the closest this and the paralyzed from the neck down scene is oh. where bruce willis comes closest i think to his madcap like true form that he finds in fifth element <laughs> Yeah. Which even then is him being extremely cool and sullen while Madcap thing happens around him. him. Mm-hmm. But I think Fifth Element had um, like the the particularly kind of French comedy that Luc Besson brought to the Fifth Element is what's missing here. It's a, it, the rest of the movie is not in that it's not in that same universe where that kind of screwball comedy is as normal. Um yeah, I listened to yeah. an episode of the Flop House about this movie, um, which was extra fun because the guest on that episode discussing Hudson Hawk was Roman Mars. So this movie, Hudson Hawk has never sounded better than when Roman Mars talks about it. That is great. Um, I have a question. Yes. Now, despite my love of film and people talking about film and things around film, um, unless I am told people's name continuously and they're not people in the background, I don't have to read credits to know who they are. I don't mm-hmm. know who people are. So who is Roman Mars? Mars. Very yeah. fair question. Okay. Roman Mars is actually a broadcaster and podcaster, and he mm-hmm. does the podcast 99% Invisible, which is a long running NPR podcast, and he's got the NPR voice. So oh, very soothing, yeah. it's very mm-hmm. professional. Yeah. And it's definitely the most professional Hudson Hawk has ever sounded. Okay. I've, I've probably definitely heard him and like oh, heard yeah. something he's done, but I had no idea who it was. I'm like, I like this. This is good. Mm-hmm. Like, that's it. Mm-hmm. Yes. Sorry. One of those voices that puts you at ease. You yeah. know, he, he says something. I'm like, he probably knows what he's talking about. Yeah. I bet he looked it up. I have the same thing with um John Green, like the writer slash educator slash. Yeah. You know, his voice, like um, which book? Uh, the Anthropocene uh, Reviewed. Yeah, so I've been listening to his audiobook, and I don't know. It's just like it's not even like it makes me fall asleep. It just makes me sit back and relax. I calm down. I just love it. I love every minute of it. Yeah, there are just some voices like that. Roman Mars is one of them. Mm-hmm. But uh, one of the things that they discussed on the Flophouse is that if this were like a movie out of Hong Kong or or a French screwball comedy, the tone would feel a lot less jarring because we would be expecting this kind of bananas display of tone shifting and, you know, there could be a musical number in the middle and then there could be a fight scene with Looney Tunes um, sound effects mm-hmm. built in and then, you know, big monologues and all of those things could go side by side and it, it might sit a little better if you were expecting a, a different kind of cinema. 
mm-hmm. but in in told in the language of like Hollywood corporate action comedy cinema. This is a this is a weird one. Well, it is because I think a lot of parts of it, people come out of their character to be weird. And like, especially Bruce Willis' character, Hudson Hawk, like mm-hmm. there he is the the man who's out of the loop, but he's like the straight man. Like he's just like a guy. And he's like, I'm having a shitty day. I just got out of prison and people want me to steal shit. What's going on? Right. But then all of a sudden he just like these weird, wacky things out of nowhere. But like when you meet the bad guys, oh my God, I'm gonna forget what their names are. The Mayflowers. The Mayflowers, thank you. Yes. I was just like, it's one of the sh- <laughs> it's one of the ships, is what I'm gonna <laughs> uh, they're the they're the Pintas. Yeah. They're the Pintas. <laughs> <laughs> um and like like when you first meet them, they're eccentric, they're weird, they're too much. So when they come into the scene, I don't care. That's like that is their characters and that is who they are. So it works when they yes. do that. But when Bruce Willis does it, when his partner does it, you're just like, that's just seems not right. Like exactly. It like, zings back and forth and it feels weird. Because we don't have a center to hang this movie on. Mm -hmm. We don't, there is nobody, like if, I don't love Bruce Willis's like extremely too cool for school sort of slinking through the movie vibe and getting everything right offhandedly. But but at least it gives you somebody to identify with. You have not been out in this world before. You're entering it new with him. Mm -hmm. He takes the audience with him. But then when he goes bananas, then the movie loses me i don't have anything to hang on to except for the mayflowers who for me are the heart of this movie yeah like no richard e grant every scene he is in is fantastic i love every minute that he's there and like even sandra bernhardt she's good i i will accept her she's a good balance for richard e grant i'll put it that way i don't know i've just never had like um a place in my heart for her that much i've always found her very i don't know i feel like if I say, like, I feel she's overly aggressive, it makes me feel like I'm putting women down. They can't be aggressive, but that's not what it is. There's just something off-putting about her that I, I've never enjoyed that much. But yeah. this is definitely a version of her that I can I mean, this is where, screen. exactly, this calls for the, the biggest possible personality. You can't, you can't have a, a wallflower in a Mayflower role. Otherwise, <laughs> we get the Andy McDowell effect. Where, yes. So her role was originally supposed to be played by Isabella Rossellini. And then I think they went through two or three other potential leading ladies, oh. including one of the banana stories in With Nails. Richard E. Grant talks about Joel Silver and Bruce Willis. One of the weekends that they were filming, they take the weekend off, they fly to Nice to see Madonna because she's performing in Nice. So they take a private jet or whatever. Of course, uh, one does that, yes. Uh, uh, and then he he discovers later that the rumor is that they had flown to Nice to see Madonna to ask her to be the leading lady in the movie because that's apparently how they make movies at this point. They've lost like three leads and they were just like, let's fly over to the Madonna concert and see if she will be in a What? What? Oh my God. Yeah. It just, mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, I'm sure that that is kind of how things work when you have private jets and you're Joel Silver and Bruce Willis, but it just gives you some insight into mm-hmm. how little 
is holding the movie, the actual logistical project of the movie together. together yeah. But you know what's but, really funny? I could see Isabella Rossellini doing that role. Not Madonna, though. I think Madonna's yeah. too sexualized for it. But Isabella Rossellini has that very good balance between I'm pure and innocent and like sexual deviant, like really right wild. The- yeah. And then, yeah. yeah. So, yeah, I could see her doing. But it's true. Andy McDowell just kind of like, you know, at first you're just like, you know, she's like a simple girl. She's just really smart. She's in town. Oh, she happens to work for the Vatican. And then she starts talking to a cross that lights up. Mm-hmm. Um, and then like, especially at the end where they have her like, or she's pretending to be drugged, quote unquote. Mm-hmm. And she just starts doing some like the whole dolphin thing. And it's just really, really weird. She has like yeah. the two boys talking to themselves. And I'm just like, what is happening? Like, it's- yeah, she's like, she's really, really giving it. And it is fun to watch her have something to do because I mostly have watched her in Groundhog Day a mm. hundred times. But, you know, it. she's like a weirdness black hole. Yeah. It yeah. like, she makes it seem, she makes everything she is doing seem more normal and acceptable. <laughs> uh yeah but somehow it doesn't work in this movie i don't know it's not yeah it doesn't i think you know i i the bits of this movie that i love i really really love like when this the ambulance stretcher car chase the when he's screaming uh how's my driving call 1-800 i'm gonna fucking die just (laughs) like rolling down the street that's like such a it's such a bad overwritten last minute shoehorn joke and i love it so much i love when they mail him to rome and he opens the box and poofs out a lung full of uh styrofoam packing pellets (laughs) yeah that that part of the movie that is uh, a big messy cartoon i love so much Mm -hmm. and then there are those bits where like when if you it, it's a very um, tenuous structure that that movie it has to be madcap all the time because the moments where it almost becomes a real movie where there are any moments of uh, like true emotion in it the movie collapses in on itself and it has to like claw back out into being a cartoon and being funny again mm-hmm. so like for me those those moments are are unbelievably funny and like I like Deadpool also so like I can see where it's hitting a nerve that I love. Yeah, but, but like, like the thing with Deadpool, Deadpool yeah. has a good, like the emotional parts are emotional, yes, but they're like there's always a gradual movement from one side to the other, right? Whereas this movie, it's just like no, we're we're you know jumping off of cliffs all of a sudden. You're just like, what are you? What is happening? That's and a then, really good point because. Yeah, because yeah. I care about the relationship in Deadpool. Yeah, in that first movie, they handle it very well. Mm-hmm. And but I do not care about Bruce Willis and Andy McDowell. And I, yeah, just there's no. I connection. mean, maybe that's what happens when you replace the lead female yeah. lead. I don't know four times. Yeah. Well, they maybe they didn't do one of those like chemistry tests, what they call them, um, and like they're just it. like you're you're gonna do. That's fine. You're the, you're you're what we've got right now. Um, yeah 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 oh no um i did make a note that sylvester stallone's brother is in this movie so. yeah whoa <laughs> it looks like a weird fever dream copy of sylvester stallone <laughs> i looked at that guy and i'm like 
That's got to be Sylvester Stallone's brother. That's Sylvester Stallone's brother, right? And my note is literally, is that Sylvester Stallone's brother? The gangster boss guy? It is! Nice. Exclamation marks. His name is Frank, <laughs> by the way. I don't know. Right. Of yes. course it is. <laughs> yeah. There's so much in this movie. And it, you know, uh, some of the stories about its creation are really focused on the, the unnatural way in which things were mashed together. So, mm-hmm. you know, people being hired at the last minute and, and delays and delays and delays and rewrites. And it just, I wonder, I assume that all of the good bits come from the core of the movie that should have been. But, mm-hmm. you know, I wonder if some of that chaos, I wonder if that contributed positively in any way to what we end up watching. Like, did was Frank Stallone an afterthought that made this movie even weirder and cooler? <laughs> That is a good question. <laughs> right, like, were any of those last minute ideas any mm-hmm. good? Well, I mean, to be honest, there are definitely movies that were made laugh last minute slash piecemeal that totally worked. Like Die Hard was one of those movies, for example. Huh. They they started filming that movie with half a script and they just kind of kept going. You know, it's one of those data points together about Bruce Willis that are not thrilling me. Right. But I mean, that also happened with like um Back to the Future as well, where they, you know, they replaced their main actors, you know, six weeks into filming, you know, they had to change. They were almost done filming. They had to change the whole end of their movie Um, throughout the movie. There were still like script changes and all that kind of stuff. So there's like Home Alone is a big example of that as well. Right. Where, you know, when they started filming, they had parts of a script but not a real script and then they hired some people and they started building a house and they didn't know what it's gonna look like where it was going (laughs) what was going on but you know they made it happen but it still made something great but also more reading about home alone okay (laughs) oh watch the thing the the movies that made us it's on netflix um thank you that's where i'm getting all my information from by the way you're welcome um uh But yeah, yeah, like, but I think this is the other side of not being prepared and going in like half cocked, like I don't have anything or, you know, shit falls apart and so I don't know how to put it back together. Sometimes yeah. it goes very wrong. So I think yeah. maybe that's what it is. So I, this movie makes me think about Tusk. I like the that Kevin movie. Smith movie. I like that movie. I hate the last five minutes, but I like that whole movie. I'm sorry. I really do. <laughs> I mean, here's my thing about Tusk, which I accept is a fine movie. But when I saw Tusk, I was fortunate enough to see it at TIFF. So Kevin Smith was there talking to an audience of people, all of whom uh, were like beyond thrilled to be there. And you go to a Midnight Madness movie at at TIFF, like you pay a bunch of money, you set aside like hours out of your schedule, you line up and line up. We usually, at that point, we're doing the, the... Thing where we went to every Midnight Madness movie for a week, which is yeah. the best. It's the best. But also by the end of that week, you are non-human because you get in line at like 1030 and then you get home at like three o'clock every night. And then I would drag ass into work at 930. Just like, yeah, I watched a movie. No, I don't remember what it was about. Uh, I have to go. I have to go line up for another movie. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so we've got there and, and Kevin Smith tells a story at the beginning of this movie, which why you would say it at the beginning, I don't know. He tells a story at the beginning of the movie about how he had this insane idea while he was on his podcast about how dumb it would be 
how crazy it would be to make this dumb movie where the guy's a walrus and like if you made it right could it be scary like i don't know but that would be a stupid thing to try what a throwaway idea we don't care about this movie at all anyway i guess enjoy you idiots and like okay all right maybe by then i might have been editorializing about you idiots but the point of the story was that it was a, a movie that you know, we we just spent a week watching movies that a lot of people had spent years trying to get their first feature made. Like stuff that comes to Midnight Madness is so often a labor of love. And for him, he's like, I'm fucking Kevin Smith. I just called my friends and I said, I want to make a movie and money appeared and people did it for me. And I showed up to have a good time and josh around. Like, I, you know, it, yeah. it took so much out of the heart of that movie, which could have been good, which I think was good. Mm-hmm. But it took so much out of the heart of that movie that I knew that Kevin Smith ultimately thought it was a fun trick he could play on his audience, right? That's how it came off to me. I don't know if that's really, but like from that night, that's how it came off to me. And then I watched the movie immediately. I can't really respect the core of that movie. Mm -hmm. And what's weird here is that like, I know Bruce Willis respects the core of this character, but other than that, nobody respects this movie. This movie doesn't even care how the movie ends. No, When Danny Aiello shows up and they're like, sure, whatever, which... (laughs) The reason that he shows up at the end. So here's the story that I have to parallel about Hudson Hawk is that when they were shooting this scene near the end where Danny Ayo's character, was it Tommy Five Tone? Uh, I'm going to say yes. That sounds right, right? Yes. Okay. All right. Uh, So his character explodes, but then he shows up at the end for this throwaway. It's very Emperor's New Groove. Like by all accounts, that doesn't make sense. No. you know, how he escaped from the car because there was an escape hatch and sprinklers and whatever else. Mm-hmm. Because he didn't want to be written out of the movie and have to leave. He was just hanging around. And so he came up with this idea while there was a down moment on set that instead he should miraculously escape from, this is the, the actor, came up with this idea that he should miraculously escape and then he would be able to meet the hero and heroine for one last coffee, you know, on that very romantic date that they have with their best friend. Oh my God. At the very end of the movie. That's the kind of movie are they you... were making here. There's no, there's no. Are you kidding respect... me? No, That's I am not at all. Fucking crazy though. And as a, as a kicker to that, there was also apparently a screaming match between Danny Aiello and Joel Silver because uh, he refused to show up with his hair must like he had been in an explosion, which Hello, you are filming a cartoon that is a movie. Your hair should be sticking up like the Bride of Frankenstein. Yes, exactly. So, apparently that was a big no-no for him. Nobody touches his hair and much screaming ensued. Oh my God. Okay. I mean, uh, I don't... So anyway. I am trying to come up with some sort of comment about this. Yes. But also... It's a, I threw a lot at you. But just, yeah. <laughs> but also that makes so much sense why like every time he shows up at the end, I'm just like, that doesn't... Even if there were sprinkles in the backseat, your car blew up. Like it split yeah. into pieces. Yes. That's the sprinkler system is not going to save you from that. Like, what are you, what are you doing? No, you know, he exploded. Yeah. But also he shows up in a cab looking like that still. And I'm just like, except you, for his yeah, but you blew up <laughs> like 12 hours ago or something. Like, I don't understand what's happening right now. That's a really good point. Yeah. Also, I, I haven't been in rural Italy a ton, but I'm guessing cab service, maybe not great. I would think not. 
Yeah. Yeah. And that, like- this is and this wasn't like regular cell phone time, right? Like I know I think one of them. Oh, had a yeah, cell we're phone in the nineties. Forget it. Yeah. Like, and this is early nineties. This is ninety-one. Maybe a car phone that you gotta plug into the cigarette thing and you know, have to be in like the middle of nowhere and do like a voodoo dance thing to get like a signal. Fine. Yes. But like, you know, a little flip phone, definitely no smartphones to like tip a tap. Hey, yeah, come pick me up over here. That's not happening. That's where where did you where did you wave down that you came out of a, a crater at the bottom of a cliff, walked out and a cab was waiting? Like I where? mean we are in a car too, but still seems like a lot. Yeah, yeah. Yep. It's always questionable. Um, yeah. I also would like to make a comment about David Caruso as kid. <gasps> Please. I would like to say yes. that. Despite not having said a single word, mm-hmm. everything that he does is perfection. Mesmerizing. Absolutely. 100% agree with you. He yeah. steals every scene he's in and <laughs> truly the most emotional character arc. Yeah. And he holds up that last little ticket. Oh. Like, I've always liked you. And I'm like, oh, what? <laughs> yeah. Especially like, I think he pulled off that red dress better than Andy Ooh. McDowell. Just like, no. Um, I mean, I talking really about works. commitment to the bit. Yeah, also, <laughs> yeah, why? There was no reason for him to have to dress up like that. There's no reason for no. him to be dressed up like a statue. What is happening? Well, I, I got, I have, I have no answers to any of these questions. So, yeah, got it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I just needed, I just needed to say that because. I think he's literally in this movie all of like six minutes and still it might be the six best minutes. I mean, I we've talked about I think that the Mayflowers are the, the like core of this movie for me. Like I would watch just the Mayflowers derangement for an hour and a half. No. I don't need Bruce Willis in this movie. No, you don't. Not really. No. And I definitely don't need all the stuff that goes around them. No, you don't need most of this movie. You just need the Mayflowers. Like the scene where Sandra Bernard, like he walks in, Sandra Bernard is in the middle of like a board meeting and she's sitting on top of the thing singing I got the power because it's playing. Yes. Great yes. scene. Great. Amazing scene. Those uh, when they're showing when they're in that scene and they're showing the slideshow of their plan to take over the world, which I love because it's so pre 9-11. There's all this money. We already have all this money. So we have to disrupt everybody else's money instead of like post 9-11 which is like i would like some money that's gonna be my scheme my evil scheme to take over the world there's this like we already have all the money we have so much money we don't even know what to do with it except mess up other people's access to it i guess okay so world domination yeah right so i have a question about that right Mm -hmm. so no matter how rich you are your money is still based on everybody else's money and it's an unfortunate truth if you flood the market with gold ruining money, then even if they're rich, don't they ruin their own money and they can also be considered to be poor? I assume that they would invest in smart anti-gold alternatives. Like what? What would that be? Sil- silver? <laughs> <laughs> Amazon stock? <laughs> it's the 90s. Was Amazon around in 91? Oh, I don't know. I just assume it's always no. been there. 
Yeah, it's um, one of those. Apple it's Park. like it's like Google, you know, like you're just like, no, we've been Googling forever. I'm like, no, that didn't happen until mm. much later than you'd like to believe. Yeah. yeah. People are just like, oh, smartphones have been around forever. I'm like, no, it was like 1996. Like, what are uh, 2006? 2006, yeah. not 1996. Oh yeah. boy, yeah, that is a that is a this century thing, not a last century thing. It's so hard to imagine. Yeah, I it's- love it now when people are just like, uh, 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 like I've been. It's Twitter. It's Twitter. And there's been recently like, a lot of posts about like things their kids say that make them feel old. And like oh, one boy. of them was like, weren't you born in the 1900s? And I was yeah. just like, technically you're right, but do not say it that way. I beg Listen you. hear you little shit. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> or like, also, weren't you- get off my lawn. Not yeah. that I can afford a lawn because I'll never Neither. be able to afford grass, but you know. <laughs> yeah, that's as long as grass is still like a thing. Maybe they should invest oh, yeah. in grass. Mm, mm, there you exactly. go. That's yep. something that's going to disappear. Yeah, presumably yeah. they invested in some sort of something that would balance it out, or at least bought a bunch of private islands and stocked them with goods, entertaining. Well, yeah, and I assume like entertaining side characters. It seems like they need a lot of those. Yeah, they need a lot of just things. Like they, they seem to be. Like, I think there's a point where you get so rich or your life is so full of drama that you have to, like, top yourself every time to make it more interesting. And based on these characters, they are that's definitely what's happened. Like, actually, I think that's exactly what he says. He's just like, we're bored. We're going to do a crazy thing. Um, But yeah, I think that's why our billionaires are sending themselves to space right now instead. So they couldn't just stay there. Yeah, I love the fact that um, Amazon dude said the most like out of touch thing. He's just like, I want to thank, you know, all of my employees and I want to thank all oh. of the people who work hard. Without you, I would not have made it to space. You're just <gasps> like, you can go fuck yourself, it, sir. It, this is a test. This is a test to see how long it takes humanity to get together and behead him. I am Seriously. not joking, right? Like we he, are failing this test. Uh, he is so out of touch. Like it is yeah. flat out ridiculous. Said begging for a guillotine. I've never yeah. seen anything like it. Well, That's I have, true. which is really, you know, last time it ended with a guillotine. Really, really. One fact that I found the weirdest thing ever, because you think of the guillotine and you think of like the French Revolution and stuff and, you know, 1400s, mm-hmm. 1600s. And apparently the last time they used the guillotine in France was like in the 70s. And I was just like, whoa, what the fuck? <laughs> what did that guy do? Oh, I wonder. That's that's right? a, I'm I am gonna look this up. Hold on. <laughs> guillotine. How do you spell mm-hmm. guillotine? In the meantime, I will I have a small, very small, everything considered, nitpicky mm-hmm. thing. Everybody touches stuff without gloves. I know yeah. part of the joke is that they have to rip up all of the priceless Da Vinci artifacts to get the thing out, which Hello, even in 1990, they would have been able to like ultrasound that and then reconstruct what was inside from the shape that they found. Anyway, mm-hmm. the point is, Andy McDowell picks up the horse without gloves, and I'm just like, what are you doing? Okay, I must admit, even but the guy handing it to her is wearing gloves. Even I was like, should she have gloves? Like, I think she should have gloves. Just all like, the time. I don't know. Um, I do not appreciate how they put the book on a fish hook. I have a lot of, for an amateur, I had <laughs> like a non-professional, I have a lot of thoughts about artifact. 
Yeah, they <laughs> um before they even got it to the Mayflowers, all of those things would have been destroyed. Like it would have yeah. fallen apart oh, yeah. automatically. And um uh what was the like oh and the other thing is everything they open, there is no way except for the thing in the horse, like the piece of crystal in the horse, the thing in the book and the yeah. thing in the the, the miniature helicopter that yeah. would not have fit into those spaces in any way, shape, or form. No. Maybe it's a pop-up crystal. <laughs> You're just like, oh, no. it's like a pop-up. Yeah. Like, it's very exciting. Oh, okay. They did it in there for so long. Yeah. All right. What was it? So the last time so they used the guillotine in France was on September 10th, 1977. And it was oh. used on a Tunisian immigrant who was convicted of murder. Um, and rape apparently Um, yes and he got the guilty charge on the 25th of february 1977 there you go wow that's very recent history it's true like i think guillotine and i do not think the last five centuries easily like no yeah Um, i'm I'm thinking like yeah 1800s maybe mm -hmm, i'm not mm -hmm. i'm not thinking i'm not thinking like 77 is post Beatles. Yeah. Like, like like my brother was alive when this happened. Like what? You know, so that is, that is within the generation. So Mm -hmm. yeah. All right. Facts, people. Facts. Anyways. Yes. What were we talking about? (laughs) Oh, well, we have been talking about Hudson Hawk. Now I've got a couple of thoughts about filmmaking and this movie, but I think maybe do they might be better served as like a comparison discussion. Mm-hmm. This is like a more meta discussion. Totally okay. up to you. Oh uh, no, I'm down for all of it. But can I just make one quick note as well? Um, when he was robbing the Vatican to get the book, yes. and he grabs on to the bunny ears outside of the Vatican for some reason, oh, yeah. and then they show a shot of the Pope. And he's watching Mr. Ed in Italian and he starts banging yes. the TV. Because it's a horse. Because it's a horse. And relevant. I just wanted to make sure that people knew this scene existed. It's just, it's just something you needed to know. It interrupts the Pope's quiet time with Mr. Ed. And he comes out onto the roof to see what happened to his bunny ears. Yeah. That's and- the kind of movie it is. <laughs> I don't know. I just looked at my notes and I was just like. It, it just says the Pope watches Mr. Ed. I was like, all right. <laughs> your notes must be like from week to week. I feel like the weirdness quotient of your notes probably varies wildly. Oh yeah. It really depends on the movie, you know, what's going on in there because sometimes my notes is just a bunch of questions. Like why did this happen? Who's this guy over here? What is this thing? How's that? Blah, blah, blah. Then sometimes my notes are, oh, that was so cool. Did you see this part? That's really cool. What's <laughs> going on over here? And other movies, you know, like some movies just do like um, like historical movies and stuff, or they have like dates and things. It's just a bunch of facts. We're like, oh, I looked this up and this was actually this. Oh, I looked this up and this was actually this. And I looked this up and this was actually this. So yeah, it gets a little crazy sometimes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet. Yeah. I feel like that would be a very fun, like, um, you could do an opening for your podcast that's like the opening of seven, but it's your notebooks instead of the crazy guys. It just flips through and they're just like, what the hell? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'd have to do it all digitally. 
you know, just put oh. it like After Effects or something and have like the sheets flip through and they'd be like, why are these things highlighted? Why are there so many question marks on that page? What's going on? Yeah. <laughs> Another note is like alchemy is the business word of the 90s question mark. This is what this movie does to me right now. It's fine. Um, But yeah, why alchemy? I don't know. It's fine. Um, Also, one thing they say in the same vein, like that little speech that they're going on about, they say money will always be paper. Mm. Just wait a couple of years. We're Mm -hmm. we're here because money isn't paper anymore. It is not. It's barely even a thing. I know. It's hardly a concept. I know. It's just sort of this like random existential thing that people are just like, you don't have any. You're like, I don't? No. Then some people are like, oh, have you some? Have no. no. You could have a bunch, but then you have to give it back to me. No, thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because there's a lot of like, especially with like getting money now, because there are so many abstract jobs, like, mm-hmm influencer i'm gonna put that out there is mm-hmm. a very strange quote-unquote job i hope nobody's offended by my quote-unquote but that's how i feel about it um but some people are very good at it some people are very bad at it some people make tons of money some people don't make any money and i don't understand it i don't know what it is and why is there money involved and what the hell is happening so either that yeah. makes me sound really old or there's a lot of people <laughs> nodding their hair going, I'm with you. Yes, that's just weird. How does what? Yeah. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There's a, a convenience store down the street for it from me where you can buy Bitcoin and also like a Bitcoin ATM. This is where my understanding of economics peters out. I'm like, I don't I no longer have a concept of the supply chain for how this works. Yeah, I thought Bitcoin was a thing you had to work for by mining certain algorithms and you get pieces of it and you're not meant to exchange it in a physical sense, only a digital sense or something. You know, that's that's about the level of my understanding. But now I bet we sound like two dinosaurs talking about today. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the 90s where I knew stuff. Yay! No oh boy. <laughs> God. They're just like, oh, God, we got to stop talking, listening to these geriatrics. Like, it's fine. It's fine. I just, you know, in between Hudson Hawk and I Heart Huckabees, I briefly knew a little bit about the world. And then it's just been dropping off ever since. Yeah. (laughs) I believe it. I absolutely agree with you. Yes. So, um, so you said you wanted to talk about this idea of filmmaking and it's more of a comparison thing. So do you want to talk about I heart Huckabees and then talk about that? Or do you want to like talk about that in between and then go into I heart Huckabees? Good question. Okay. A couple of things, I think just to between these two movies that are not quite about filmmaking. um, Yeah, no, I I think I want to talk about the filmmaking bit because it's like, it's kind of a downer. So like, let's okay. talk about it and then we can get into some of the others. All right. Okay. So my, the thing about these two movies is that these are not movies made by a team of people, right? These are movies made on the backs of other people. These are movies made with a power imbalance that, that people were not treated well, right? Which is really, really common. We both mm-hmm. know that. Oh yeah. But okay. I think that these are two really good examples of the ways in which it's 
accepted that movies don't treat people well, that it doesn't have to be accepted. This is like a real thing for me. Okay, so I have a question. So I understand mm-hmm. what you're talking about when it comes to I Heart Huckabees because the director was an asshole. I get it, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. But what do you mean by that with Hudson Hawk? I'm so glad you asked. So <laughs> in, in With Nails, again, my primary source of knowledge on this movie, Okay, <laughs> much more so than the movie itself. Um, Richard E. Grant talks about getting to Rome uh, he is there like a week early because they have already started shooting and delays have already started happening. So even before he gets to the like his first day of work, things have been delayed for at least a week, maybe two. And when he gets to Rome, Sandra Bernhardt has already been there for three weeks alone with no updates. And ostensibly, she was supposed to be there a little bit early to bond with the dog. So, okay. right. So what that generally means is that you meet the animal wrangler or handler and then you rehearse your scenes and you get used to each other's presence. Sure. Right. The dog's supposed to be, I think was supposed to be in a lot more scenes than it ended up in. Mm -hmm. Uh, But instead she gets there and she finds out that as is very common, they have not hired a professional animal handler. They've hired the dog's owner who has convinced them that he is, a professional who works in the movies and who apparently shows up in a very amusing tracksuit covered in bells and dog treats and a fanny pack full of toys. And, and the dog is not a Hollywood trained dog. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So she's been in Rome alone for three weeks, presumably to bond with a dog. Now for me being in Rome for three weeks to make friends with it, make friends with a dog was like pretty great. But this is the glamorization of what we assume making movies is like, right? Oh, that must be nice. You get a three-week paid stay in Rome Mm -hmm. and you just make friends with a dog. But in reality, she can't work. She can't see her friends and family. She's not at home. She's homesick. She's alone. There's nobody else from the movie. There's this stranger who owns a dog. She's not getting along with the dog. There are no other people there to help this conflict along. And nobody's telling her how long it'll take. And it just keeps getting dragged out and dragged out and dragged out. I'm not arguing that it's like abuse, but it is kind of like neglect. If I did that to somebody that I managed, I would feel terrible and I would be a bad manager. Mm -hmm. If you did that at a work site, you would be a bad manager. So there's on the one hand, there's that because this is a wreck of a movie, it uproots people's lives. So Richard E. Grant writes very nonchalantly about how he's offered the role of the sheriff of Nottingham in Robin Hood. Prince of Thieves, not Men in Tights, different movie, Prince of Thieves. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) And he has to turn it down because even though they only need him for five days, he doesn't know how much longer he's going to be stuck on this movie. Mm -hmm. So there's that, right? It it impedes your ability to make money. And when your time at the top is very short, you need to do as much as you can to make that money. And if you keep turning down roles, people are going to stop calling you. But also... Like there's a lot of description of Joel Silver just out there in the world about being an extremely mercurial kind of person. Uh. I think people like to call him that because his name is Silver, but like he does a lot of screaming and a lot of screaming obscenities at people. And he's very confrontational and he's very much like, ah, the, the, you know, the fucking movie's not getting shot fast enough. I'll just get on the phone and yell and put the fear of God into people until it gets done faster. First of all, this is how you end up with spiraling budgets because you don't plan ahead yeah you get <laughs> in trouble you let danny aiello rewrite your ending yeah <laughs> for no reason but then also like 
there's just this expectation, like people are on eggshells around him until he cracks a smile. And there is this expectation that he might yell at you in front of everybody and that that's part of who he is and that that's ex- acceptable. So I, I don't know. I just feel like you don't need to be abusive in public to the people that work for you when it's probably not them that screwed up. Yeah. Well, apparently, you know, yelling at your quote unquote subordinates are is acceptable in movies and sports for some reason. And that's I don't. It. Yeah. I don't understand oh, why. Every and other- kitchens. Yeah. Oh, yes. Yes. Yeah. We, we know a couple of famous people who were like that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, like I like I understand people are people no matter where they are. People will get upset. People get frustrated. People are whatever. But yeah. you have to deal with people. You have to understand people like you can be like, look, I'm really pissed off about this. We need to get this going without mm-hmm. being like, what the fuck are you doing? Get your shit together or you're fired is Two yeah. completely different reactions to the exact same problem. And this yeah. is the thing that gets me really upset when you have like directors screaming at actors or, you know, an actor screaming at a lighting guy because the lighting oh. is slightly off or, or some shit like that. Yeah, everybody's under pressure. Everybody's frustrated. Everybody is literally in the same space trying to get the thing done. And mm-hmm. instead of shitting all over people... Mm-hmm. Why don't you try to like, you know, make the situation better? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think ultimately, like, work, uh, workplace mental health is like a big thing for me because it shouldn't have to be like that anywhere, and it's like that so many places. Like, we think about tech firms and how bad it is there, and like, mm-hmm. just you know, even at like small mid sized companies, like harassment and just daily abuse is so so common, and it doesn't have to be, and like, it's not to say that it's only bad in the entertainment industry, but the industry is set up to, like, squeeze people to do the absolute most, right? It's like, just have everybody work an 18-hour day because it's too expensive to film the explosion over two days. Yeah, no problem. What about them driving home at night afterwards? Oh, it's fine. They'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Will they? Yeah. <laughs> Will they be safe on the highway driving home after 18 hours of work six weeks in a row? I don't know. Like it's, there's this understanding that the people are the cheapest thing because the equipment and the space and everything is so, so expensive that like one or two people extra, like you can pay them extra to wring as much possible out of them. So you can make a lot of money in a short amount of time, but you are giving so much more of yourself. Yeah. Yeah, Uh, That's very true. Yeah. And, and yeah, you can, in, to go back to what you're saying, like in, in many places, I think this is the case that like you can just take a boss aside and be like, Hey, you can still get what you want without being abusive to people like that. But it's glamorized in movies and it's venerated as a man who really knows what he wants. Right. Joel Silver becomes a famously hot tempered director or producer who gets the best out of his, he made a blockbuster and that makes it okay. Yeah. That there isn't that in like, a 10 person landscaping firm there isn't that veneration of the manager who gets the best like the contracts done in the least amount of time because he yells at people the most yeah right? if he just yelled at his employees constantly he would probably get fired that's just how it is yeah and he well, maybe not have it. as many employees there yeah. would eventually 
they'd run out of teenagers in that small town who wanted to break their backs for the guy who is known for yelling at you. But Hollywood never runs out of teenagers. This is the thing. thing. Yeah. Because everybody wants to make it and the movies have been made to look so glamorous, the making of the being in the, you know, just being around all of that stuff. And I know it seems cynical as we sit here talking about movies, but I mean, it's a lie. Like it really kind of is. I mean, the product at the end, depending on the film is beautiful and wonderful. And it could be art. It could be drama. It could be, it could be action. It could be existential. Yes, that that is that is true. But you have to remember, it doesn't take one person to make that happen. It doesn't take two people. It, make, it takes hundreds of people, yes. a couple of years to work together, plan together to make something like this happen, whether it's a good movie or a bad movie. You can shit on a bad movie as much as you want, but it yeah. took 600 people to put that together. They got paid got made, and they, they put it somewhere something. you could see it. Exactly. You know, and and like, yeah, I will stand by the fact that some movies are shitty and I will bitch and moan that decisions were wrong. But Mm -hmm. God damn it, that lighting guy, he held that fucking light or the boom dude with his arms up, just like holding it over people. He did his fucking job. Pay him. Be nice to him. He made it able for people to hear what you had to say. Like, don't shit on those people. Yeah. No, no, I I like to think that maybe there will be a small culture shift, like as a result of what we've seen over the last like five years or so. Mm-hmm. But, you know, it's, it is really baby steps there. There is so much baked into this notion that it's okay to behave like that. When you could hear me out, I know this sounds wild, you could also produce a piece of entertainment and not behave like that. Yeah. And have just like saying, a I'm just saying good time and enjoy your job. Like, I mean, if you're already that. making Hudson Hawk, like what's the problem? It's going to be slightly less good. <laughs> I, I fail to see the problem. How would anybody know? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so anyway. yeah. Yeah. I understand what you mean, but yeah. uh, I have to admit that grumpiness does not come across on the screen, which I'm kind of happy about. Um, mm-hmm. But also, it doesn't actually make it better. But that is a shitty thing they did to Sandra Bernhardt, though. That's kind of, that's really. Yeah, and that, I mean, that's only one thing of so many. Like, they talk about, they were supposed to shoot the finale in in Moscow, I want to say. And then instead, they ended up not using that finale as written. So they ended up meeting the studio still. So they all go to Budapest to film scenes that are, then they redecorated the studio to look like an Italian set. So they move from Italy to Budapest because that's where the studio is set up to shoot scenes that are supposed to be set in Italy, in Hungary, by a studio, in a studio owned by a producer in LA. And then they wonder why they're over budget. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's, uh, it, yeah. I don't know how much more I have to say about it other than I could yell about this forever, but it's not just the lead actors and the directors like there is so much power imbalance and so much expectation that you will show up and shut up and pay your dues and and Mm -hmm. be a trooper and get through it Um, yeah i mean i think i think that just goes back to the like i had to do it so you have to do it mentality you know like yeah i was treated like garbage so i'm gonna treat you like garbage because i was treated like garbage which i find is so unnecessary like my thing is like 
if you were treated, if I was treated like garbage and the next person coming up, I would do my best to make sure they weren't treated like garbage. Like, this is just my mentality, right? Like, yeah, like, like I worked in retail for a long time. I am Ooh, nice to every retail person, <laughs> yeah. you know, as long as they're not dickish to me, of course, like there's always a line, right? Hmm. But, but I know people who worked in retail and I'm, they're, they're still on the phone. Like, it's their fucking job. I had to do what they can do it themselves. Yeah. Like, there's no reason for any of that. Like, there's no reason for it. So, yeah. and I think it's the same way in any industry, any profession, any situation. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, it's like the idea of hazing to, for bonding. I'm like, why are you fucking hazing people? Just have them come in and hang out with you and find out who they are. Talk to people. You can bond on other levels besides torture. Yeah. yeah. You know, it's shit like that. Yeah. It drives me nuts. Yeah, absolutely. That's it. That yeah, was my it took talk. a lot, I think. Very nice. No, I, I agree. It took it took some time for me to get used to that. I think it's a human thing, right? I went through it. They should go through it. I want other people to, you know, they should earn it like I earned it or whatever. But that that is an instinct worth fighting against. And it didn't come easy to me, but I feel really strongly about it, which means I had to, like, go back to my own life and behavior and make sure that I am doing that for others. Like, why? what are we doing here in this, like, great grand scheme of things if not trying to generally go on an upward slope yeah yeah no you get in there and you have to do your job i'm not saying you don't have to do your job i'm gonna just like carry you with me whatever no you still have to do your job i'm just not gonna make you feel like a piece of shit if something goes wrong or if you know you're just like well i didn't know about this can you show me oh it's up to you no i will show you how to do it but you just have to do it like get it done still like you still have to work um but yeah no I I think and I think that's part of the mentality as well is that like people think that if you're nice to them then or like or if you're trying to help them you're giving them a handout or you're helping them out you're not paying your dues to do it and I don't think (sighs) that's it like if they're doing the job they're doing the job just actually do it that's it you just don't have to be a dick about it yeah yes exactly yeah yeah um speaking about being dicks about things i was um, just gonna that amazing (laughs) i heard huckabees huh oh man um i watched this about half an hour finished watching it about half an hour before i got on here to record this i have less notes for this than i do about um hudson hawk surprisingly because i think i was just gobsmacked watching this movie i was just like (laughs) what kind of bullshit is this is all like <laughs> myself and um i i don't remember loving this movie when i first saw it but i think it was one of those things that is just like oh it gives you something to think about you know blah 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 now i'm just mm-hmm. like you guys are fucking stupid i think this Ugh. is the same problem i had with high fidelity where just like you know i used to be like oh the things he's saying is so like so true you know like oh people just don't understand and then i watched this mm-hmm. and I, I think i had the same reaction where i'm just like oh my god why was i such a stupid child and believed this was deep in any level yeah yeah no i think i'm with you there like this is a movie for younger people i think I don't want to be rude. I, if you watch it and you're not a younger person and you love it, that's also great. But I think it's, it, it's about the sort of existential dilemma of younger people. It has a very sort of self-centered 
like um, character to the existential dilemma itself. And in, you know, that is more common to like when you're super, the, the inner turmoil of a teenager because nobody else could possibly understand how rich your inner life is, you know, that kind of thing. Mm. So I think it, you know, it's not that surprising that we both came back to this movie and we're not as enthralled. Well, I mean, the, there is like a legitimate existential crisis and it centers around the youngest person in the film, which is played by Jason Schwartzman. And I think they say he's like 22 or something in this movie. Um, and that's definitely the, I'm out of school and I'm still trying to figure out my place in this world. And he has these uh, uh, coincidences with this random African dude. And he's just mm-hmm. like, it exactly. has to what mean something. Dude? exactly yeah. and he's like it has to mean something you're like no shit doesn't always mean something sometimes it does yeah. sometimes it doesn't yeah. um so he goes out like trying to figure this out and it just kind of goes off the rails from there and also jude law's american accent made me angry <laughs> I was like i kept watching every, delighted. every time he said a word i was like just talk normally just leave it <laughs> Jula, I think it's also the hair, but he strikes me in this movie as doing his best Justin Timberlake impression. <laughs> what is this? Isn't this like before Justin Timberlake was like a thing? Oh God, I don't remember. <laughs> Everything was so long ago, Tracy. I've been in my house for 18 months. I don't know when anything was anymore. This is so far into ancient history. I do not know. Oh my God. Um <laughs> Oh, his middle name is Randall. Anyways, let's see. So his first solo album came out in 2002. So yes. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. He could have been doing a Justin Timberlake impression. Done. Yep. Uh, it just seems like that. I don't know. Uh, yeah. I I have memories of seeing uh, So I've seen this movie once shortly after mm-hmm. it came out. And I have memories of seeing it and loving it. And then I think after years of like being alive mm-hmm. and then also not being the youngest person in the room all the time and also years of therapy, this movie is just like intrinsically a little bit less exciting to me. Yeah, um, I think everything about this movie is hurtful in some way. Oh, um, interesting. Well, you... You have three extremely broken characters um, followed by one character who's broken, won't admit it, and is trying to abuse the system. And then you have three existentials who are trying to teach them different ways to ignore society for some reason. And essentially they ruin their lives except for Jason Schwartzman because he gets back to his coalition at the end for some reason. Mm-hmm. Um, but essentially he ruined, they, they ruin all of their lives. And I am not saying to be a sheep, I am not saying you have to follow all the rules, but all I'm saying is to function, you, you need money mm-hmm. to function. Um, and when you get people who lose their jobs, burn down people's houses, you know, like ruin their world, not just Mm -hmm. them mentally. Well, also mentally, I should say they ruin them mentally. They ruined their life. And you're just Mm -hmm. like, we've, we've closed our case. Everything's done. That's hurtful. That's mean. That is unkind. And no, it's, it's not to me, it's not acceptable. 
I, I, this is why therapists go to so much school and existential detectives should not operate unlicensed. Yeah. You know, <laughs> like, I don't know. It just, it really kind of pissed me off at the end of the movie, you know, when they were just like, we're done. And, you know, Jason Schwartzman and, and Mark Wahlberg, AKA firefighter man who doesn't fight fires, but yells about petroleum for some reason or smacking each other in the face with a rubber ball. I'm like, I don't, I don't, this isn't useful um, on any level. (laughs) No, it's not useful, but it is more charming than has any right to be. It is, it is a little charming. Yes. Mark Wahlberg generally in this movie more charming than he has any right. (laughs) Really? One of the reviews I read noted that he is the only person who played his role 100% 100% straight in this movie like he had no idea he was in a comedy and mm-hmm. something about that really appeals to me that I you know I think that 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 did the movie the most justice in some I, ways I agree because even like Naomi Watts's character even when she like goes off the rails and starts wearing like her bib and her overalls and stuff um yeah. you're just like you know you're you're a pretty girl playing at being ugly like she doesn't go yeah. full ugly. Like you know what I mean? Oh yeah. And it's like it's stuff like that where I'm just like, you know, like she gets in front of the camera, look at me, don't look at me, look at me, don't look at me. And I'm like, I know what you're doing. It's just not working very well. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know. It was stuff like that. Um, Jason Swartman, um, I I'm like 95% sure I watched this movie just because he's in it. I do have a soft spot for him. I enjoy his presence ever since I saw him in Rushmore. And no matter how serious the role is, he is just mm-hmm. amusing to me. He's funny. Yeah. Um, so as soon as he's like, especially as soon as this movie starts where he's just like cussing in his head. And yeah. he's just like, we saved Strong a rock. Type. I was like, okay, <laughs> that's funny. I'm like, maybe I will enjoy this. And then the movie kept going and I was like, I'm not enjoying this. Done. Yeah. Yes. There, there's a real, there's a moment where when we first meet, uh, Marky Mark's character, where Tommy Corn, right? It's a good name. Uh, where I think it like immediately connected me to my high school self, and I think any girl who has dated a certain t- kind of dude can really resonate with that. Where the girl is leaving him, and she's like, "I just want to live my life," and he's like, "But what is that life?" And she just goes, "Ah!" Like, and she just like storms away from him. And mm-hmm. it's like, yeah, I just, I'm not, I can't, I can't with this about petroleum products because also I have to feed the kids and make a living in this house. Like, mm-hmm. you know, he has, he has like successfully entered the capitalist system in a way where he's not really engaging with it as the bicycling firefighter. And that's very cute, but like, that's a one in a million thing. And most of us have to suck it up and do some necessary unethical consumption under capitalism and, do not want to examine that part of our life because we're stuck in it. Yeah. Like we were talking about before you gotta. Yeah. And so to, like, yeah. Yeah. And to, and the thing is about that is that especially with a person with kids, you can't just think about yourself. You can't just think about, I'm not using petroleum anymore. You have to think yeah. about like, what's the things that I have to do to make sure I get food on the table. So my kids survive. One of the yep. things is, I got to drive to work so I can get to work on time to do the job, to come back home, to take care of these kids. I have to be able to turn on my stove at home. Yeah. It might be natural gas, but it's still 
got from somewhere. Somebody mm-hmm. did something wrong is making a whole bunch of money off of it. Mm-hmm. I have to do these, these things to get through my day. Right. Yeah. And throwing it in people's faces who have real responsibility or, you know, are not in a position to just, eh, whatevs is a hard and mean thing to do. And especially if it's your wife, you know, mm-hmm. and you're just like your kid, you have to take care of your kid. And he's just like petroleum. It's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. Yeah. Which is, I think like that was a really good sort of parallel for me about this movie was like, but what is the life you're living? And I was like, Oh, I don't have time to examine the life I'm living. I am busy living it. It's like, I've gone through that, but I think that's where like for a younger person. So for uh, Albert, right. He's in exactly the right part of his life to examine what, what is the life he's living, right. To do all of this deep soul searching Um, because he doesn't yet have responsibilities outside himself. And he's still mad at his parents about that whole thing about their cat. So, yeah, you know, in that, in that way, that's where I think it's, um, you know, it's a movie that is really appealing to somebody who's in, a particular state of reassessing their life um yeah agreed maybe that's why i i mean i kind of liked it originally and i think mm. i mean i probably watched it around the time this came out so yeah i w- actually would have been around the same age as albert at the time and mm. so i guess maybe i was just like i could understand an existential crisis i have those mm-hmm. you know that's just yeah that's what you yep. do at that point in time. Um, yeah. I don't know. What are and, they calling it? A quarter life crisis, I think is what they call it. Uh, Where you get all yeah. existential, you get all existential about yourself. And then you mm-hmm. calm down and then you get a, a midlife crisis. Oh boy. Then you get older and then you go senile and then nothing matters. Mm, well, yeah. I mean, once you hit a certain point, the rules of society don't apply to you anymore. So you don't have a vote have a crisis about it and you know the crisis of women who suddenly become invisible after being in the spotlight their whole lives is still largely ignored in pop culture and made mostly played for like menopause jokes yes Um, although one of the things i liked about this movie is that there are several women over 30 in this movie yeah and they 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 look like it not in a comical way they are dressed great yeah i love their clothes Mm -hmm. i love the production design of this movie the weird like kind of generic look of things i love Mm. the design of their office i love i don't know again i love a lot of things about this movie but i did i well i will point out one thing i really did not like about this movie Mm -hmm. um like the movie is generally fine i think it gives a relatively bad message but it's fine um Mm. But one thing I noticed about this movie, and maybe it is because of, I'm a person of color, and this is why I noticed this, is that throughout the movie, people of color are either magical in some way, or believed to be magical, mm-hmm. or they're the butt of a joke throughout the whole film. Mm-hmm. And I'm looking at this, like, especially the scene, you know, like, A, what about the African guy? You don't meet till much later, and he's just sort of like a side character that's talked around but not really Mm -hmm. talked at the whole movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And initially, because of the coincidences, he's like, this magical being. And you're just like, what? He doesn't even get a costume change. He wears the bellboy uniform every time you see him. The whole film. You know? Um, When they go to uh, the office and you see, like, 
the people waiting in the chairs, you know, that is done comic relief. You have the lady who's there from Spain singing the song and the guy translating what the song means. That's comic Mm -hmm. relief. But those are the Mm -hmm. only time you have people of color within the film, right? Yeah. Not even like, like, I think there's maybe like uh, at the beginning where they're clapping about, about the rock, there's like a black guy who's just like, yes. You know, sorry, I made a face and, and mime clapped. Yeah, you can't see that. It's, uh, <laughs> but, but, um, but yeah, like it was, I, I think, especially now when they're putting in so much effort, whether it be lip service or whether it be an actual effort to change film and media, mm-hmm. um, they have been putting so much diversity into stuff. When I watch films like this, it is so noticeable now. Yeah. Because you'll just be yep. like, why is everything beige? It's, it's so very, beige. It's very, it's yeah. very white. It's, yeah. I mean, one, the casting is not diverse, but two, like the longest scene with a person of color is all about the parents telling uh, Albert and Tommy what great people they are for taking in a refugee. And yeah. how this absolves them of any debt to society. Mm-hmm. So it's really, he is a prop in that scene. Yeah. He's a prop in the whole movie. Like, well, he's definitely a prop there, but they even go out of their way to tell his story. Like he's not even allowed to tell his story. Exactly. The parents are just like, oh yeah, we re- he was a, a refugee and we took him in and we did this. And this is what happened to his family. And this happened and this happened. Like he's not even allowed to speak. And mm-hmm. then- they insult him and put him down like with the whole I'm disappointed in you mm-hmm. Steve and blah 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 and all he can say is like I'm sorry mom and dad like the whole yeah. thing and like as, like that scene was just so hard for me to watch because A there that scene is filled with great actors first of all yeah. and embarrassing the riches right and I like they do a good job in what they, they did what they were supposed to do. Yes. But that's also what makes it harder because you know there are people out there like this. You know there are people who are doing this to some kid from Syria or some kid from the Sudan mm-hmm. or some kid from, from Brazil. They're doing that to some kid right now. And I'm not even talking about like the religious aspect of it. Like they're like, we're good Christian people, blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. It's not even that part. It's the that's the talking down to it's the we did something good for you so you have to be thankful or mm-hmm. or like no you don't tell your story we get to tell your story so we look like we're really good like yeah. that whole thing like those people do that and then they're then they throw the whole religious thing on top of it and you're just like oh you're horrible why are you like this you know yeah and so, yeah yeah the scene is done really well and as you pointed out by incredible actors all like every time they cut to somebody new, I got excited all over again. And, you know, it does what it's supposed to do, which is points out that the, that Steven is not really a character in his own story. It points out that these people have co-opted his story and his experience and, you know, really shines a light on how they view that relationship with him. But then the rest of the movie doesn't, counter that so there's just this one instance of this highly racially charged dinner and 
but then there's not really a, a look at that in the rest of the movie. And the rest of the movie, as you pointed out, is overwhelmingly white. Yeah. So it, it doesn't, it doesn't leave me with anything to like anything else to measure. That's my only data point. Well, and again, yeah. And the thing is, it, that's not the only time they do that to him in the movie, right? Because mm-hmm. later on, when you go see Albert's parents and she gives him the note to come upstairs, um, Catherine, um, she, he walks in, he says no words. He tells everybody else their story, his story, and why he's connected to Albert. And then mm-hmm. they leave. And you're just like, right. wait, he's not allowed to say his story. He's not allowed to, you know, he's been orphaned. He's been orphaned. That's it. But I think one orphan is probably worse than the other. Like, I, I like, I, I just don't, I just don't know. And mm-hmm. the fact that they did it twice in the movie to the same character, the only person mm-hmm. of color that shows up multiple times. Mm-hmm. And you're just like, and he's probably said like, 12 words and a lot of them yeah. was like sorry yes and no and you're just like what is you're not even trying right now and yeah. this is harmful like it's harmful yeah I mean we don't see that happening to other people of color or to other people in a way that would help us draw parallels not really like we don't see that happening to other marginalized people in the movie the same way and we don't see that not happening to people of color in the movie so what are we supposed to make of it that this is this is the only use that they have for this actor? It's, it is, I agree, very weird. Yeah, it's uh, he's used the same way, you know, somebody would wear a favorite jacket throughout the movie or something. Like, it's he's not considered a person at any point. Nobody talks mm. to him. They talk around him or at him. And yeah. you're just like, I don't... This... what What is, what is going on here? And... The thing is, too, is like, I understand they're trying to break down people's situations and they're like, why are you having this existential crisis? How to be existential? But at least all of the other actors are talked to or questioned. You know, they're allowed to put out how they feel about something where he's just like, Mm -hmm. hi, I'm a black guy. The words, the African guy, what African guy? And, Mm -hmm. you know, and everybody co-ops who he is throughout the film you know, without explanation, mm-hmm. really. Yeah. Yep. That's my, yeah, note. they're, 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 uh, Albert and Tommy are allowed to argue their part, their points to Steven's parents and he is not. Nope. Yeah. Not at and all. I don't know if that's on purpose or not, because again, the movie doesn't give us like a good example of what it would look like for a person of color to be part of a large conversation in the movie. Yeah. I mean, I think the thing that is purposeful about this scene, like, or his use within the film is the fact that, like, the whole parent scene is pointing out a certain issue. Mm-hmm. But I also still think, even though they're using him to point out an issue, it has nothing to do with that character. Like, I don't think mm-hmm. his character is purposeful in any way. Like, it could have literally been anybody sitting there. And that same mm-hmm. conversation could have happened and been ignored. Um, I don't, I think it has nothing to do with him. It is, he is a prop. He is like the table they're eating at. It doesn't. I would argue he's a lot like the rock in the marsh, right? He's a lot more of a representative thing. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 
that that yeah. makes sense yeah um but yeah that really upset me especially the second time with the like parents and he walks in and I was just like you did it twice guys why did you didn't have to do it twice we get yeah. it yeah yeah so yeah, yeah. anyway yeah that's it. <laughs> I think that's yeah that is very insightful and valid and probably not something that occurred to anybody except I mean in as much as like you have to you have to see that you're using the like magical person of color trope in that movie. That's how it starts. That that's what kicks the movie off. But then it seems largely unexamined. And as you pointed out, just ends up being hurtful. Yeah. I mean, the thing uh, about them both being orphans is pretty rough and yeah. just serves to reflect the unlikable center of this movie where like, mm. you know, I am the one with all the inner turmoil. Ah. And yet he's yeah. so focused on saving the environment. Yeah, but I him. think I think a lot of it has to do with more of a kind of like ego trip than anything else. Like mm. he's like, I mean, let, okay, let me rephrase that. Mm. I think growing up, um, especially our generation, we were told we have to do better. We have to you know, you know, our world is being ruined by whether it be pollution or money hungry people or whatever, we have to do better. We have to take up a cause. Did you see the sixties and the seventies? Look at all of the things your parents did. We were radicals. Mm -hmm. Now it's your turn. And I think Mm -hmm. he is doing the thing he is supposed to do. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if he did all of the things like he went to school, he went to college, university, got a degree, He's mm-hmm. picked up a cause that he's staying with. And now he's like, now what do I do is essentially what happens. And I think that's where this is coming from. And it doesn't really have anything to do with like, yeah, he might actually have turned into, I want to save the marsh or I want to save the trees. Mm-hmm. But I think it comes from a place of this is what I was told I was supposed to do. That's really interesting because it, it, Albert and Brad, Jude Law, both have, they come at performative environmentalism from two different angles. Albert as a medium for his poetry and Brad as a medium for his corporate ladder climbing. But they're really both about how they can benefit themselves or their careers from performing environmentalism without doing any of it. And then on the other side of things, Tommy Korn is doing it does not know how to perform it or to talk to other people about it and it is destroying him mm-hmm. and it's and it's um, true yeah yeah because i think also there was a lot of performative environmentalism happening like especially as we were growing up that was a lot more about like corporations more on the huckabee side of things corporations looking good by doing something that had ultimately no impact Mm -hmm. and then you know the the more conservative media was like well anybody who's doing more than that is like an eco-fascist basically you know those crazy greenpeace people yeah so it really reflects that like there is a correct and incorrect way to engage with environmentalism and coming that is the one thing that coming back to it now i'm like oh marky mark is right yeah we are like, screwed <laughs> yeah well i mean we are we we definitely are um yeah but one thing 
like there have definitely been changes in environmentalism. There's definitely been progress because like people bitch and they moan about now and regulations and all that kind of stuff. But we make so much less pollution now than we did at like the start of the industrial revolution. Right. Because, you know, they didn't have filters on smokestacks. They were burning Mm. things in fields. They were just dumping things in rivers, all that kind of nonsense. And through whether it's it's <laughs> what do I do with all this oil? Should I dump it on this penguin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah cool. Just <laughs> just throw it. It's it's fine. It's gonna just go to the bottom of the water. Eh, yeah, you know. And whereas now, sure, you have like, you know, that you know when the ocean was on fire the other day when they had that spill, <laughs> that's horrible. But imagine yeah. had that happening like. 50 times but nobody knows about it because the internet didn't exist it's a good point I mean, it does okay, make a, a difference. Good point. so and yeah. but the thing is is there are people now who are doing the marky mark thing marky mark i'm not calling mm-hmm. him that anymore um tommy corn doing the tommy corn thing without yelling and screaming like tommy corn right mm-hmm. like people do the crazy recycling they wash all of their things they separate the little pieces they take it to the the, the little things or they chop up stuff they make sure to cut all the rings you know or they like melt it and make stuff for their house out of it like people are doing the thing to reduce garbage they're doing the thing to help you know instead of taking their car down the block they'll walk you know, but they still need a car to do certain things. That's fine. Right. Or people mm. actively do not buy a car. They take the bus everywhere or they have a bike and they ride everywhere, but they're not yelling and screaming about petroleum use. They're just like, look, I can do my part. Come with me if you don't want to, whatever. But I can say I've helped, you know, and there's mm-hmm. nothing wrong with that. And I think there's a lot of people in that mentality, especially with like kids growing up in the the reduce reuse recycle mentality they've grown up with it so that to them it's normal Mm -hmm. they don't bitch and moan they're like what do you mean i gotta put that over there they're just like isn't that just what you have to do like they just do it so so i think all of that helps it's just it's generational growth you just follow things things are normal Mm -hmm. yeah like littering used to be a huge problem people just walked down the street throw garbage everywhere now everybody's just like let me find a garbage can, throw it in. Let me take it home, yeah. throw it out there instead. Like it just makes a difference. That's a really good point. And it makes me feel a tiny bit better. Yeah. I mean, I recycle. I'm not the best at it, but I do it. Mm-hmm. It happens. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for as much good as it ultimately does, we do a little bit more and a lot more over time. You're right. Yeah. This is what we're talking about. You're supposed to try to make it better over time. That's, ah, and that's how all the way around. Yeah. Ah. The, oz- the hole in the ozone is getting smaller. Remember when that was a big deal with the acid rain? Yeah. You're going to burn. And we all stopped using hairspray and it was fine. Yeah. Everything's right. Everything's that how it works? hunky dory, as they say. You know, mm-hmm. Obama got into office. We solved racism. You know, oh, dear. People figured out news. how. <laughs> 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 Are you sure? I, I don't know. I, I haven't seen any news about that stuff lately. You're crazy. No, I think, yeah, no, you're probably right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but anyways, I'm going to stop ranting. I mean, that's most of what I wanted to talk about with this movie is just the, the place that it comes from. I do, I love a lot of the back and forth dialogue. Um, 
Dustin Hoffman and Lily Tomlin are like, I would just watch them like do that. I, again, I didn't need the rest of the movie. I just needed those two. <laughs> I agree with just, you. When he turns around, he's got the chalk marks on the back of his jacket. The whole thing is so charming. Uh, it just, yeah, it's so fantastic. There's a scene, the scene at the beginning where he's like, this must mean something. And Lily Tomlin's like tired, tired, like not all coincidences are meaningful. And he's like, but this one is. It's like, oh, cause it's your life. It's like, sounds exactly like my therapist sounds when she's like gearing up to tell me a harsh truth. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just find the two of them so compelling and I love the way that they're styled. I love their mm. look. And I love, I, their love look. I love Isabelle Huppert as the, the third, like the absolute wrench in the gears mm-hmm. of this insane investigation that this like, they're yeah. Newman. <laughs> yeah, like the thing is, is that despite I think she did a great job as a character, I hate that character yeah. so wholly and so strongly that like i see her and i'm just like just fuck off like oh like i just i hate everything about you yeah oh that's great yeah yeah but i mean because she preaches chaos no i have no problem with chaos i don't have anything about throwing like a wrench and stuff but she actively goes out to make people miserable despite mm-hmm. herself being a nihilist which means you shouldn't care Ooh, and, good point. and you're just like why are you making people miserable then you shouldn't care if they're miserable or happy just go away that's Ooh. it that's all you need dang i was yeah. far i i was probably incredibly distracted by how good she looks in that trench coat <laughs> yeah i believe that yeah yeah yep. she did look great yep. in that trench coat for sure yeah yeah, yeah. No, like she looks, she looks great. She does a, and I think, like, I think this is one of the biggest problems with being an actor is that when you do too good of a job doing something, that's all (laughs) you're associated with. And you're just like, Mm -hmm. but I'm not that person. I am somebody else. Then based on this story, who are you? Uh Oh, oh, oh no. (laughs) Mind broken. Who even are any of us? Right. Um, yeah one of my notes is can we be both miserable and isolated as well as connected and part of everything which is technically what the conclusion they come to at the end of the movie which I thought was very hilarious yeah no I I agree I I, you know my takeaway from the end of the movie is the two of them hitting each other in the face with that ball Mm -hmm. so you know it's a little bit less of a like grand philosophical question it's just like whap all right, that was fun. Okay, my turn. <laughs> Whap! Oh yeah, a brief moment of clarity. Yeah, what one of my my notes about this is that like I don't need to be smacked in the face to stop me from thinking. So, I mean, I definitely have a, a every once in a while I do have like a wandering problem with like it's not even wandering. It's just like nope, that that's off, and you're staring at nothingness for ten minutes, and then all of a sudden like I mm-hmm. click out of it, and I'm just like, wait, what? What was I doing? I don't what? Okay. It's, it's very weird. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And maybe that's the, my ADD experience as well uh, is just like, if I'm trying to focus on something, it would really help me to get hit in the face with the balloon every minute or so and just be like, <laughs> hey, write your thing. Oh, right. right, right. So that's like, that's very appealing to me is that, 
that one moment of Zen after the balloon leaves your face and you are just purely you. I think I did buy into that one a little bit. Maybe I'm more of a nihilist. I don't know. Maybe you are. Mm-hmm. Totally possible. What you should do is like, especially if it's something on your computer, like you have a timer per like stroke. So like if you don't type something within like three minutes, it smacks you like there's a ball or some mechanism. Yes. It smacks yes. you in the face. The You're like, oh yeah. And one of those scissor lift with a punching bag on the end you know, <laughs> or a, a boxing glove on the end from yes. a cartoon comes out and whaps me in the face. You're like, oh, yes, that's what I was doing. Start typing again. Everything's fine. All right. <laughs> it works out. See about rigging something up. <laughs> yeah. I did have a question I wrote down to ask, mm. though. So within the story, Jude Law's character is pointed out. He tells this Shania story over and over and over again. And I've always had a fear, a, 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 not a fear, a dread that I would be one of those people who just like, I just regurgitate the same thing over and over and over and over again. It's and I know, words. yeah, <laughs> and I know it can be hard to uh, pick out the story that you tell like you yourself tell over and over, but can mm-hmm. you think of a story that you enjoy telling people or you think maybe you've, you've said too many times and, you know, regurgitated here for me? <laughs> oh man. Oh man. Um, yeah. I mean, I, I enjoy storytelling generally and I enjoy hearing a good long form story as well. So I definitely will tell the same story over and over many times. I know that I have told you, the story of uh, my husband proposing to me and immediately, um, you know, he got down on one knee and everything. We were in Rome. There were fireworks. It was incredibly romantic. And he gets down on one knee and he says, will you marry me? And then he said, he opens the box and there's like a ring in there. And he's like, the ring is just a placeholder because I know that you have really like, you know, you have your own taste in jewelry and I wasn't sure what you would like. And you have to wear it for the rest of your life so we can go out and get another ring. And, you know, because I really wanted you to be an equal partner in this relationship. And I just really respect it. And I was like, you have to stop so that I can say yes, so that we can get married. Oh my God. And it was the cutest thing. And so, you know, I have told that story a hundred times and I will keep telling it. Um, And I, yeah, there are tons of other stories about just like shows that I did that went wrong or shows that I did that went right or like, you know, adventures that I have had. Um, But I think that some of that is um, as much like, much like I like to hear a band play a song that I like again and again. And there are differing takes on this, but I love seeing a stand-up comic that I like do a bit that I know. So like, if it's a stand-up comic I've already seen, or if they're doing, um, I saw Eddie Izzard do a bit from their, one of their previously taped specials. And when they launched into it, um, the, the audience applauded, even though like as a stand-up, you're not supposed to do bits that you've already recorded and put out into the world. And I think that was a Just for Laughs in Montreal. It was a fairly big audience and we recognized it. And just like a show, where a band launches into a favorite song. It's like, yeah, no, I, I kind of do want to hear that story again. I love that bit. I love that story. So I only hope that uh, in the retelling, we refine the story in a way that makes it more entertaining. Yeah. For the people around us. Yeah. Yeah, what I get you? that. Um, <laughs> I was sitting here trying to figure out, I'm like, can I think of a story I tell all the time? Um, I know I dropped, 
tidbits of things pretty regularly and then I stop myself because I'll say things like, oh, when I lived in Japan and then I stop or I did this when I was in Japan and I'll stop. Like, I, I know I do that. I know I yeah, do but- it. I haven't heard most of those stories because you stop yourself. (laughs) I do. I I don't know. Like, um, I think, well, and I think that's one of the problems with telling a story over and over and over again. You A, either forget who you've told the story to, or B, like, you meet new people who want to hear these stories. So you just tell them again, right? And... (laughs) I, I don't know. Like I start hearing myself say things. Oh, I was like, I've said that too often. I'm not, I'm going to just skip over it. And like you said, you're just like, but I haven't heard the story. I would like to hear it, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know. What story can I tell? Um, that won't get me in trouble if my parents listen to this. Does it matter? That was, it took me a minute to think of something. <laughs> um, I don't know. Like there was, uh, so, okay. Um, this is, this is one I always tell people because I think living in Toronto, multicultural society, I am used to seeing different colors, people, just everything's just a lot of different things. Yeah. And I still remember to this day, get to Japan, 20 hour flight, you know, I've missed, I, I left Canada on my birthday. So I essentially missed my birthday that year, which was the best and worst birthday I've ever had. Hmm. Um, landed and got out and looked around. I was like, there's a lot of Asian people here was my first thought. <laughs> and I was just like, what the fuck is your problem, Tracy? You're in Japan. You know, <laughs> like it's one of those things. Like it's, 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 it's stupid, but like, <laughs> Your your brain just sometimes just clicks things. You know what I mean? You know. Uh, <laughs> and then so and then the funny thing about it. So one of the, the things you do when you go. Um, so I went with a company because I was going to teach English and stuff. They're like, you know, pack a carry on that has your essentials in it. But your suitcase is going to be delivered to you the next day. Mm. And so I'm going to, well, no, well, no, I, maybe I should keep in this. So going to my, my apartment. So I was picked up by a liaison from the school, uh, Mm -hmm. which was happened to be a British guy, if I remember correctly. And he was in like a, like a pinstripe suit. And I was very, so I was like, you guys are way too fancy, but no, that's just his style. That's just what he did. And so we get to Motiawata station. That's where I lived. And one of the, the, the things that really I had to really get used to while I was there, being a Black person is, is a novelty if you're outside Ooh. of Tokyo. And one of the first things I saw was a little kid. I, I have no idea what he was saying. He was saying in Japanese, but he's pointing <laughs> at me. He's just like, what is that essentially <laughs> pointing at me? <laughs> And usually most parents are just like, don't point, put your hand, cut it out. Just whatever. No, this kid's parents slash grandparents joined in, in the, (laughs) what is, what is that? You know? Oh no. And my, my first response is to, what are you looking at? Like to get like upset about it? Like, what is your problem? You want to fight? Like, you know, but I was like, no, no, mm -mm, no, just 
hold it back, hold it back, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so anyways, I get to my apartment. My roommate's not there. She's on vacation somewhere. She's coming back in two days. And I like, I go to sleep, get up the next day. My luggage hasn't arrived, mm-hmm. but I told my parents, I'd like, I call my mom when I got there. So I, I, we passed a payphone on the way to my apartment. And so I knew where it was. Cool. I could see my apartment from where this thing was. So I was All like, right. you know what? I will go there really quickly, figure out how to make a call, <laughs> make a call <laughs> and run back. Okay. That's what I did. So I went downstairs. I can see my apartment. I kept looking over, made a co- made the call. <laughs> I'm alive. Yeah. Blah, blah, blah. I'm waiting for my luggage. You know, everything was good. I'm a little tired because you got to get used to the time change and everything. Go back. Yeah. There is a note on my door. No. Oh. And it's all in Japanese. Cannot read no. it. And I just oh. start to cry. Yeah. I was like, because I... It's not like, you know, something that's written in our alphabet. You can like yeah. look it up in the dictionary easily and flip through it, whatever. No. Right? Because at that point, if- you can't you can't point your phone at anything. You have no Well, yeah. at that time weren't sm- there weren't smartphones. Well, smartphones yeah, exactly. were a brand new thing. And mm-hmm. it didn't have that kind of like translation stuff as yet. And so I fully cried for a good 45 minutes. Just being like, I'm never gonna get I think that's very fair. (laughs) Nothing's gonna happen. So yeah, so that was that's the story of my first day in Japan. There you go. Oh yeah. (laughs) Did you get your luggage eventually? Oh yeah, they just came back and gave it to me. (laughs) Oh good. Yeah, but but yeah. Yeah. When you can't read it and you're like, I don't like, what if it was saying like, you know, sometimes you get notices, you have like, you have to go here to pick something up. I couldn't tell that. I couldn't tell if they were saying they were going to come the next day. I couldn't tell, you know, call this phone number. Like I couldn't figure out what it said. Yeah. And I just sat there staring at this sobbing going, I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah. Yes. I mean, your resources have already been depleted by traveling for a full day and having several weird experiences. <laughs> yeah, that seems so, yeah. very reasonable. So yeah, so so yeah, Leah. Next time I see, ask me another Jap- Japan question, and I'll tell you. A story. Yes, please. Something that I'm allowed to say Amazing. that's not recorded. <laughs> ah, <Yes>. excellent. Okay. <laughs> But yeah, so so that's one. But I, I knew I had told that story many, many times when I had come back home. And then I just, I was like, yeah, I got to stop saying that. And I just don't anymore. <laughs> yeah. hey, sometimes you put them into retirement. Sometimes you bring an old one out of retirement. It's just like yeah. making a set list, you know. Yeah, you got you to gotta, yeah. gotta go with it. Sometimes the, the classics are classics for a reason. Exactly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yep. Uh, so any any other thoughts or notes about these um, films, I will call them? Uh, these are films that made big, weird choices. I would say these are messy films. A lot of nodding um, happening here, yeah. Very centered on coolness and self-awareness. And like, not always hitting the mark. But I, I enjoy big weird choices i would rather watch a movie that i hated that made big weird choices um i definitely than... would prefer to rewatch hudson hawk over i heard huckabees any day yeah yeah i think i would as well and it you know those are just uh, what can i say i like cartoons it's just closer to <laughs> what i'm after than 
you know, not so much into philosophy. So I think I'm with you there. But I think if I was going to want watch something like I Heart Huckabees, I'd probably go with rewatching um, The Lobster or any other of the Yorgos Lanthimos movies, Killing of a Sacred Deer. It, the the dialogue struck me as being really similar in that sort of like every actor seemed like a puppet played by the director um and yes. that just like rapid fire robotic dialogue um and those are movies that make big weird choices that i think i find more intrinsically fascinating mm-hmm. i really did like the lobster i actually didn't think i would um, so it took me a while to get around to watching it. And when I started watching it, I was just like, oh, this is going to be so dry. But then halfway through the movie, like, I don't, don't get me wrong. I like the the first half of the movie. It's not that I don't mm-hmm. like it. Like, I was like, no, I'm going to give it a chance. And I was very happy I did because I did like it. And then halfway through the movie, there's a complete tonal shift that yes. does, that isn't abrupt so that you feel like, they've done something wrong. Like it just mm-hmm. works together really well. And so like, I really overall liked the movie and I liked all the actors in it. I liked what they did. And it's true. It was like, they weren't themselves in any way, which I guess what acting is about. <laughs> so it's just more visible. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really, it's, it's definitely one of those, those films where it's hard to describe to people what it is Mm -hmm. and then you're like if I say what it is you're gonna think it's weird and you're never gonna watch it just fucking watch it just look at it just I tell you yeah 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 -hmm. Yeah. don't read anything about it you haven't seen them any of his movies just go watch them yeah I do have to watch the killing of a sacred deer though I never got around to it I really should get on that it really stuck with me I don't know that I would watch it again for fun, but if I was having that experience where I was just like, I want to watch something that's alike, like that is, um, uh, has the characteristics of this movie, maybe not the same thematically, but that registers for me in the same way, I would probably want the experience of rewatching one of those films instead. Okay. And, so, okay. Based yeah. on that, I have a question for you then. So you said sure. killing of a sacred deer, you would probably never watch again for fun now why without being overly specific why is that and like when i say not it's like it's like he's talking about american history x like i'll never watch that movie again it's a great film people should watch it but it is it destroys my soul watching it so no i'm not going to watch it again for fun um Mm -hmm. requiem for dream the same problem which i'm going to be watching it for the podcast I am not looking forward to that at any point in time. Um, but yeah, my my thought was I would never watch that movie again because broke my soul mm-hmm. again. Yep. So yep. Killing of a Sacred Deer, how come? I would not put it on again like while I make dinner. I would not put it on again to have a nice night in. I would put it on again if I really wanted the experience of being moved by a film. And sometimes I do want that. Sometimes I sit down and I'm like, I want a movie that is going to rip my guts out. Mm-hmm. Like, and just, you know, this is why I watch so many horror movies. It's like, yeah. you know, I'm not always so, in the mood to like have my soul upheaved, but sometimes I want a movie that is moving to me, like yeah. engages me viscerally in that way. So I really like horror movies because they do that. Um, and then sometimes I'm like, no, no, no. I want to watch a great film. 
Like, yeah. I just want to have the experience of a movie that blows me away. And if it happens to make me sob in the process or just like really unhinge or like leave me unsettled, that's part of the experience of watching that great film. So I wouldn't watch it for fun. I might watch it to reappreciate it. Ah, gotcha. Okay. So, so you got to be in the mood. You got to be yeah. like Requiem for a Dream. Yes. I don't know what mood that would be to rewatch, but yes. It's yes. probably not a healthy one. No. <laughs> it probably means no. I should go outside. <laughs> I think you should just show it to kids in high school. Don't do drug kids. Watch this movie. Mm-hmm. No kidding. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, I have to agree with everything you've said about these movies. Um, I, I do enjoy the crazy slapstickness of Hudson Hawk, but I like the pieces, not the whole if you know what I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I heard Huckabee's though. I, it's just, it's just fallen under that like midpoint of like dislike. It's just like on the cusp of like, but not, it's not there. Even Jason Schwartzman yeah. can save it for me really. No. But I think it's, it might be because there's so many unlikable characters in it. Like I, I, I don't yeah. find, despite even enjoying like Lily Tomlin and, Dustin Hoffman, they're not likable characters. You know, no. uh, Jude Law, definitely not. Naomi Watts, def- no. like, there's nothing, they don't give her anything no. to make her likable. Um, like Jason Schwartzman, too, he's, even though he's a broken person, he's also an empty person. So, yeah. also not likable. You know, everybody who surrounds them, they're not particularly good people. So, the only person who's likable is Steve, and he doesn't get much of a part. So, no, as discussed. Yeah. yeah. Um, but also Jonah Hill was at that table, which I was just yeah. like, where the fuck did you come from, sir? Um, also the uh, Mary Jane, who is the Huckabee's uh, senior founder, whatever, big deal lady, I forget what her connection is, is Tippi Hedren. Yes, I saw her, yeah. her title in the in the, the credits and I'm like, wait, what? Everybody I... is in this movie. It is bananas. <laughs> Well, even the girl who replaces um, Naomi Watts is oh god, what's, I'm gonna forget her name. Um, oh no, uh, you know who I'm talking wait. about. Uh, <laughs> is it Fisher or Schlesing? Schlesing? Yes, Schlesinger. it's it's Isa. Is it? Oh my, Isla Fisher, Isla, Isla Fisher. Oh, Thank don't you. Don't see S, Isla Fisher. Yes. Oh no. Oh no. Yeah. <laughs> um yeah her and the yeah. oh my god i'm gonna and you know what i'm not even gonna make the comparison because i can't remember the other girl's name either they look the same mm-hmm. to me and it drives me mm-hmm. crazy yep um and that's the same with like um oh god why do why why do i bring up the idea like i could make comparisons to people and people know what i'm talking about when i can't remember people's names there's no oh, point <laughs> i'm over it it's fine everything's good um mm-hmm. but yes I, it is very surprising uh, his the cast for his new movie is being announced now and it is very surprising to me how many people are still excited about working with him um, really yeah oh, okay yeah yeah well I, I mean the- you know he just continues to make movies that are just full of amazing talent people yeah. you know I think it's one of those things uh, where you're just like, no, he makes great films and I want to be in a great film no matter what, you know, which I think like to me at a certain level of your stardom, especially like when you have clout, that shouldn't be that big of a deal anymore, if you know what I mean. I would Absolutely. Think, you know, I am. Um, 
I did see, uh, so something interesting is that uh, I saw what, what Amy Adams said about working with him, that it was really, really tough on her. And the way that she put it, one, was incredibly um, diplomatic, like, yes. Amy Adams is the person I was thinking of, by the way, that looks uh-huh. just like Isla Fisher. Right. You yes. said her name. I was like, nice. that's it. Sorry. Yes. Because she was in American <laughs> Hustle, right? Yes, exactly. Yes. Okay. Um, yeah. And she just said, like, you know, it's just not a style that I can work with easily. I don't I get really uncomfortable when people aren't treated well. And also I'm at a place in my career where if I can make a movie that is like fun to make, I would just rather do that. And I was like, yeah. It's just a movie. Yeah. I would just rather do that. So I, I liked that take on it. That makes sense. Um, yeah. I'm actually looking at David O. Russell's uh, filmography here. And to be honest, A, I haven't seen that many of his movies. And B, out of the movies of his that I've seen, Three Kings is the only one I can say like I legitimately enjoyed. Yeah, it was great. I also, hated- he got into a fist fight with George Clooney on that movie. Oh my so- God, Really? <laughs> I learned a lot reading up for this. Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had done less reading. Um, to be honest, I hated Silver Linings Playbook. I hated American Hustle. I didn't even bother watching Joy. Like they put a 25, yeah. a 22 year old as a 40 year old mom. And I was like, I'm not watching this. That's just fucking mm-hmm. stupid. That was yeah. my first thought. But yeah. Uh, wait, no, I saw Flirting with Disaster. I did see that one, which was fine. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. That's all I got. Mm hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I don't know why people are fighting to do a movie with him. His movies aren't that great, in my um, opinion. Maybe we're missing something because we're not. You know why? It's probably because we're not uh, genius, abusive men. Maybe if we yelled at more people under us, we would uh, we'd get the, the genius no. of his movies. That's no? not that's not how it works for women. Oh, I didn't Remember? I, yeah. Uh, I misunderstood. Yeah. If a, no, but if a woman acted... Oh, dear, I have to go apologize to a lot of people. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be right back. I'm so yeah. sorry. Yeah. Do you know where I can get uh, I'm sorry cards, like, in bulk? <laughs> well, that's the thing, right? Is that, like, if a woman is aggressive or if a woman yells or if a woman is confident or if a woman is like, this is my vision, people are just like, mm. why are you being such a bitch? Just calm down. But a man yeah. does it, he's like, oh, he knows what he wants. He knows exactly what he's going for. And everybody's all happy and hunky-dory about it. So that's the difference. We can't yell and scream. We're just crazy people on our period if we do that. So mm. right. probably shrill also. Oh, shrill. Shrill. Very shrill. Mm-hmm. Indeed. Yeah. Well, ugh. Anyway. Okay. That's, that's a whole other uh, long we can't get started. discussion. Yep. Yeah. Yep. No. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Well, I got to say, thank you so much for coming back and having like another deep, insightful discussion about two weird movies with me. Thank you. I feel like we found a lot of uh, deeper conversation to have about two movies that are largely style. Yeah. No, little to no substance. Okay. Yes. There there you go. Maybe instead of quirky, I'd be like, what's movies with style, but no substance. Just... There we go. Put it in there. I mean, I did drop from quirky to weird. So I think that works as well. Yeah. I'm going to stick with messy. I think messy is fine. (laughs) Messy also works. Yep. Uh, Well, that's it for this episode of Off My Shelf. 
will be taking a break and returning on September 6th when we will be talking about the movies The Ice Storm and Igby Goes Down. Uh, until then, you can follow along on Instagram and Twitter at OhMyShelf or you can send an email to OhMyShelf at gmail.com. Hope you'll be here to listen.